This is Chicago's College Tailgate. Tailgate. Shane Norman and Tyler. Shane and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Good morning and welcome on in to Chicago's College Tailgate. It's all presented to you by Twin Peaks, Tyler Rocky, Shay Norling. As we've hit rivalry week on the college football slate, already week 13 in college football. Can't believe it's flown as quickly as it has. But here we are. We've got a great slate of rivalry week, including the game. But before we do get into that, Shay, you are in the great state of Michigan. You are... I guess boots on the ground for for today's matchup between Ohio State and Michigan over at the Big House. Your your boots enough on the ground. You could say that, yeah. Yeah, you're you could, close you enough there. Um, but last night you, you were set off by something. I, I got one of the most hilarious texts I've ever gotten from you last night. I uh, wasn't planning on watching my team uh, because last night I just knew was the culmination of the complete failure the end of the fall from grace was the headline that i read this morning about michigan state football and tyler i i at 7 30 we turned to nbc i go we might as well turn the michigan state game on for a minute let's just see what happens and i wanted to see what ford field looked like and they had the spartan logo at midfield that's the first thing i saw and then they zoom out and i see the end zones and i could not believe my eyes in between the Thanksgiving Lions game and the Black Friday Michigan State-Penn State semi-home game, Michigan State was supposed to play this in East Lansing, but preseason gave that up to play this game at Ford Field. This is a trophy game. It's a rivalry game. And the end zones said Lions for a Michigan State home game where they're playing a team called the Nittany Lions. Everybody, as bad as it gets. Everybody involved in the decision-making process. I believe that this includes the coach who will remain unnamed who was fired for doing unsavory things with a cell phone with a person he shouldn't have been doing it with. Everybody involved needs to be launched into the sun. How do you allow this to happen? How do you allow yourself as a university, as a football program, to give up a home game and then play at a neutral site, semi-home, where the F and N zones have the opposing team's nickname in them? How? Tyler, tell me how. You want to know what I think is the most frustrating part for you out of that? They had the time and the energy... To paint the logo at midfield. Yep. So it wasn't like they didn't doctor up the field at all. And just out of college football anyway, you have to change the ha- the hash marks and all that stuff. So there is effort that goes into changing the field. Yep. But you put the Spartan head at, mid- at midfield, yet you left the end zones with the opponent's names in it. And the opponent's, I mean... It's a hell of a lot closer to their colors than it is your colors. It's literally blue and white. Uh, uh, it, the end zones are literally blue and white and say Lions. It's, and you're playing a team that wears blue and white and is the Nittany Lions. And it's a home game. That's about as bad as it gets. That is... Uh, what, what was the, the Twitter world like on, on that one? I didn't see... I didn't check in on Spartan Twitter honestly, last night. I think it was just me. <laughs> I think it was me alone that was raging at this. But that At's is a like, legitimate gripe. 
I have never been so angry about something so innocuous. As an athletic director, your sack has to have shriveled backwards into your body. You have nothing left if you're at the point where you are moving a game to accommodate NBC from your home stadium because, God forbid, you play a November night game outdoors. So they got to put it in this dome at Ford Field, and you're bullied into having the end zones have the opposing team's nickname. It's insane. I've never seen anything like it. After the news that Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State head coach, is now the leader in the clubhouse for the head coaching gig at Michigan State, and I have a sliver of maybe they're going to do it right, I see them defecate on themselves on a neutral field where they let the end zones for a home game have the opposing team's nickname. I could never have imagined. I mean, it's, Tyler, it is 60 years of embarrassment at Michigan State football just rolled up in a ball and delivered on national television on NBC. It's so bad. It is everything, like, for 10 years from 2007 to 2017 when Michigan State was regularly a legitimate program, you had built something into becoming one of the big boys. And the last six years have just seen it all collapse. And I felt like it was a culmination when you get on that field and the other team's nickname is in the end zone. You're getting 40-pieced by Penn State. They could have played that game on Saturn. You would have got 40-pieced by Penn State. But it wouldn't have set Lions in the end zone. (laughs) No wonder they didn't score. 42 nothing the final there. They couldn't get in yep. because they can't score on the other team's name. Yep. That's I, Dude, I've never seen anything like it. Honestly. You're right. Like it is a completely like meaningless thing in the grand scheme of things, but the optics of it are so terribly bad. Like that's that's atrocious. And and you're right. Like people should be and this is like for a game ops team that has already had their share of issues so far this season after something that was put on the scoreboard earlier in the year, I'm not even going to say it because it was so bad. Like, this is a disaster. And it's like problem after problem keeps snowballing within this program with off the field and like things that don't actually impact the outcome on the field, but the optics around your program just keep getting worse and worse. Like, that it's terrible and like there's the rumors now with Jonathan Smith that you alluded to and I think it can come down as early as today even um but that's what he's walking into like there's a lot of stuff that needs to be cleaned up in house with this program it is a complete wipe the slate and build it back up from scratch this is get the ingredients out of the fridge and you're putting it all together from the start I, I cannot believe what I witnessed this season from the way the head coach got fired, from what you're talking about with something on the scoreboard in a pregame, to last night. Like, you could have just wiped Lions out of the end zone and done the Notre Dame diagonal hashes, and I would yeah. have been fine with it. Or I, I saw a game last night, all. it was empty. They had just empty green space. It almost looked like a CFL game. Would have been fine Would have been it. way better than that. You could have honestly left them blue. And it just didn't say Lions in it. And that would have been better. The only thing you can't do is let your 
opponent's nickname be in the end zone of a game that is a home game for you. It's unfathomable. It's so stupid. And it's like, Tyler, even if they had done one end zone Penn State, one end zone Michigan State, whatever, you want to call it a neutral site game. But don't tell me you got the time and the people and the manpower to go fix midfield, put the Spartan helmet on the midfield logo. You can't do anything about the end zones. What did Ford Field bully you? What did the Lions after they, I almost swore, after the Lions uh, just fell dead on Thanksgiving, did they get on the phone, go, hey, got to keep the end zones blue. You just tell them to shove it. Yeah. Get the get the Lion out of the, it's on, dude, I'm so angry about it. Alan Haller, the athletic director, honestly, I pin this on him because Mel Tucker, well, I think he allowed this to happen. He ain't there anymore. I can't blame him. Yeah. I can't blame that guy. He's gone. Alan Haller, I can launch you to the moon. Have fun. No <laughs> space suit either, buddy. Like you this this is you better get this coaching hire right and you better get this program turned around because it's ridiculous the idea that we had to leave the end zone saying lions when you're playing the Nittany effing Lions. Somebody up there in the PR department and in the marketing and in the game ops grow a freaking brain. For the love of God, somebody wise up and just look at that field and go, guys, this this don't look too good, and figure out a way to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other way around it there. I mean, it, it's a disaster on all levels. Um, I, I, it's just, and I told you last night, it's one of those things I know. I turned it on. I'm going, we're going to get murdered either way. Nothing that happens on this field is going to be good from a football perspective. And it just sent me over the edge. It sent me to outer space because I'm like, can we at least get murdered without this team running into their own damn nickname? Like that, that's just unbelievable. You had time to drape the Spartan Stadium sideline banners all around the Ford Field uh, sidelines. You had time to do that. You had time to replace midfield. Do anything with the end zone. Other than have them say lion, like for the love of God, man, <laughs> I, 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 it just, it sent me to outer space. Yeah. Um, let's talk about an actually fascinating game from last night. And, and that was Oregon and Oregon state. We will get to Michigan, Ohio state in about 10 minutes from now. Um, but Oregon who is currently sixth in the latest college football playoff rankings, takes down Oregon state 31 to seven. Another dominant outing from Bo Nix. Two touchdowns through the air, another on the ground, threw for 367 yards. And, boy, this team cruised past this Oregon State team, up 21-7 at halftime. And Bo Nix has the heroic across his body, a throw that every coach in America would tell you never to make in, the, in your life. But he pulled it off, and they get the 41-yard uh, touchdown to Troy Franklin right before the half. That At that point, that pretty much put the game away because – 14-7 going into half feels way different than 21-7 after just having a dagger through your heart, especially because Oregon State moved the ball down the field on Oregon the previous drive and thought they were going into the half at, at 14-7. And then with only a handful of seconds left, out comes Oregon, and they put together a nice touchdown drive to close it out. I got to tell you, too, that, that Oregon team, like defensively, they're absurd. They just they don't let you do anything. Last night watching them, 
offensively, they kind of get whatever they want at this point. The screens seem to always work. Bo has been throwing a really good deep ball. You brought up the throw, rolling to his right, going back across the field to the left deep for a touchdown. That felt like a Heisman caliber throw. It just, to me, this Oregon team, a week from yesterday in Vegas, is going to smash Washington. This Oregon team, I'm watching them, and I'm still where I was when we talked about it three, four weeks ago. That is the best team in America right now. And I know how good Georgia looks, but think about like the way we talk about Oregon State. Physical up front, they're going to run the ball. It's a non-negotiable. That's what they do. And last night, they just had the life snuffed out of them by a team that's magnitudes of order better. I think Oregon's playing the best football of anyone in America. I'll still lean Georgia is the better team and is playing the best football of anyone. They have flipped a switch into looking unstoppable right now. But listen, if we found ourselves, I mean, the the crazy part is we may find ourselves with a, I guess the things will kind of work themselves out so we won't have a Georgia-Oregon first-round matchup. But a Georgia-Oregon title game, that's certainly in the cards right now. And that would be a, an awesome game to close out the season. Georgia, Oregon would be college football theater again this season. Like, like I'm glad next week, a week from yesterday, we're going to get, presumably, I, I think no matter what, we're going to get Washington and Oregon rematch. What yeah, was it's already set in stone. Mm-hmm. We're going to get it on Friday if from Vegas. That's going to be the, uh, theater. And then the idea that we could get Oregon and this kind of high-powered Granted, screen-heavy, run-heavy-ish offense, but Bo Nix has been so good going up against Georgia. That's what you want to see. I just Tyler, I look at last night. Oregon State, 53 yards on the ground on 24 carries. You're getting 2.2 yards a pop. Yeah. Like you, you beat the brakes off of a team in their running game, and that is their strength. And they've done it against everyone that they have played, and you just ate them alive. I don't know who's who's more complete than Oregon. It's easy to go, well, Georgia, because they just have flipped the switch, but we've still seen some issues. There have been times where they just seem imperfect. Oregon, to me, is just offensive line, great. Defensive line, great. Skill positions, great. The secondary flies. You have a Heisman quarterback. You, the running back, Bucky Irving's fantastic. Like, they just, everywhere you look for the Ducks, you go, they're elite. There's not a position unit that they aren't elite. I still think that, that Georgia is the better team. And if you, you squared them up head to head, like if you're setting a line on that, it's still probably what Georgia minus four, right? Yeah. I, what's the line in the SEC title? Four and a half. I think it's four and a half. So maybe, maybe it's could, like three. Could we get a two? Cause I feel like Oregon would be favored against Alabama. Slightly favored, yes. Probably. I just, I don't think that this is going to be like the last couple years where we have a national title where there's like a seven and a half point favorite. I don't I either. Think we're get, I, think, I think we're going to get some good playoff. Th- this is one of the rare years, like in, in years prior, we've seen the gap between one and four be monstrous. This year, I don't think there's a huge gap, quite frankly, between one through six. And, and if Florida State didn't have a quarterback, Injury, like you could probably lump them into maybe like there's seven or eight teams that are still very close in terms of like what a point spread would be among them. Like Oregon's a seven and a half point favorite on a. I think that's a little high. Friday, 
that feels a bit inflated, but I'm not seven and a half against Washington. That's an undefeated team. You're getting Mm -hmm. me on the other side of a touchdown. That's where the market's at on the Oregon Ducks. And like they are not, I don't think they're getting four against Georgia. I don't think they're getting two. They might not be catching points against Bama. It might be a pick or Oregon's favorite. Like that's how close this top six is. And I feel like the market's starting to tell you Washington might not be in that real top four. Washington might be kind of fake. Yeah, I do want to go through the playoff scenarios with you a little bit later on. But when we come back, we will go through Michigan and Ohio State. The game is here, and it is very highly anticipated. Is it the most highly anticipated game of the season? We'll discuss that when we come back here on Chicago's College Tailgate. Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Chicago's College Tailgate. Now back to the show with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. We've got the game today. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, Michigan squaring off at the big house. And some people, Shay, are talking about this as the most anticipated game of the year. I don't know what it is about this game. Maybe it's because we've just become so accustomed to what this game inevitably means and just the deflating nature of the fact that this is the quasi-Big Ten championship here and there is a playoff game on the line. Um, I don't think this is the biggest game of the year. I think that, by far and away, was the Oregon-Washington game. With the hype and the anticipation of that, I think that surpasses anything that we're going to see today between Michigan and Ohio State. Honestly, the product on the field might, but I completely disagree with you about the hype. I think this has been much more wildly anticipated, in part because, like you mentioned, de facto playoff game. The loser is basically out. Things would have to devolve into utter chaos for the loser of this game to make the playoffs. De facto conference title game. And the fact that one of the two teams has had the dominant story in the sport for the last two months while playing nobodies. Basically, both of these teams get the honor of playing through a Big Ten that's so bad, you're just rolling over like wet napkins until this game. I feel like the Oregon-Washington game was something that developed when we realized what the Pac-12 was going to be this year. The Pac-12 was going to be really fun, a lot of good teams, great quarterbacks, and then we kind of found out week three, week four, okay, Oregon and Washington are going to be the best teams in this conference. And seeing them on the field and then the way the game delivered was incredible. But I think the anticipation, like this game, has been circled on the calendar for so many people for weeks now. And it's felt like a a freight train just hurtling towards it. I think that this is by far the most anticipated game of the season. And it feels like it's a historic rivalry. It's a rivalry that in the past has seen a lot of very bad blood. Like I saw the tunnel video from 2013 today when Michigan was garbage juice and they were coming out of the tunnel ready to fist fight with the Ohio State uh, team. And I just feel like today that blood is even worse because any Buckeyes in that building have an extra chip on their shoulder after what we've discovered was going on the last two seasons. I think, too, the the fact that this is an 11 a.m. game kind of sucks a lot of wind out of it. 
Do you feel but it that always way? is? I know, but I feel like that's that's why I don't love this rivalry as much as other people do. Because it's not played at night. Because it doesn't even have to be played at night. Played at two thirty. I don't like eleven a.m. I I hate the eleven a.m. start. The it, it just I don't know. It feels like it sucks some of the the big atmosphere out of it for me. I get that, but it's never bothered me. I guess part of it is like I grew up around it, so I'm so used to it. I'm so used to the energy. Like it pervades the room for weeks. It's people are anticipating this game in the Metro Detroit area, certainly in Columbus, for weeks and in this case, months. Like it just, I think the energy buildup happens so much more in the days and weeks leading up to the game that you don't need the extra few hours. Tracy Butler said to me this week, that game should be at 7.30. And I'm like, you might not be wrong, but it's always been at noon, and they're never going to move it off of the noon kick because the athletic directors don't want those fan bases. you on Eastern time. Well, what am I going to (laughs) do? I am on Eastern time right now. But, dude, the ADs don't want the fan bases mingling for an entire day, getting wasted in parking lots, fist fighting each other like this this game to me is is so highly anticipated in part because the fan reactions are going to be incredible if michigan loses you will have the biggest air let out of a balloon moment where it's like oh the reality of our situation is set in and everybody in there will just be dead like emotionally empty and dead and if Michigan wins, if you're a Buckeye in Ann Arbor, you better effing run. Like, you better get yeah. out as quickly as you can because that place will turn into an absolute zoo. I will say this. I think we're going to learn the most about the season on this game because, all right, we're going to learn how important I think the sign-stealing stuff was for Michigan. We're also going to learn how good Ohio State is, and I think that's part of the – that's maybe part of, for me, why I don't have the same level of hype for this game as other people do, is because these teams, more so Michigan than Ohio State, but it's been a pretty sleepy walk to this point for both of them. Ohio State did have the game against Notre Dame. That was a lot of fun. Uh, the Penn State game they also had as well. Um, each of these teams has the Penn State game, but I think we're really finding out what Penn State is. They're just college football cowboys at this point. But th- I... I just can't get around to, like, you You kind of have played in a 10-game preseason or an 11-game preseason slate to get to this point now. I think the problem with it is, too, like, when Washington and Oregon played, we all knew, okay, these two teams are good. Like, these two teams mm-hmm. are really good. And Michigan and Ohio State, and it's in part because they don't play anyone. Like, Notre Dame at the time was a huge game for Ohio State. Right. We've kind of found out what Notre Dame is. They ain't all that. And, like, the Penn State game for both teams at the time was a big deal. But we've kind of found out what Penn State is. Like you said, the college football Cowboys, they'll blast bad teams. But when you got to play a real defense, See you ain't playing any offense. <laughs> like, you're just going to lay down and die. So I get that point because we're, like, number two versus number three, Ohio State and Michigan. And you're kind of still, like, are either of these teams actually good? Now we find out today which one of them is better than the other, but are either of them actually good? I still don't really know. Like, Tyler, you mentioned the sign stealing, how we're going to get the answer. How important was it? Haven't we kind of already gotten that? 
J.J. Well, McCarthy in the two weeks where the sign stealing has been actually no, like, I don't totally think removed? I don't think we've fully gotten the answer. If Michigan wins today, all the sign stealing stuff is out the window for me. I don't care about any of it anymore. Like, all of it's gone at that point. Right? Like, well, like winning today means you beat the allegations. You not only beat the Buckeyes, but you beat the allegations <laughs> as well. This is their OJ glove. <laughs> this is. If you, if you go win, the glove, it don't fit. The glove don't fit. Like, that, this is the moment for you. Dude, what do you think's going to happen? They're going to go out and win. The NCAA is going to go, ah, close the file. Never mattered anyway. Just wrap this all up. But that's what it means, though, because uh, you get Harbaugh back for the Big Ten championship and then the playoff, and you go out and you beat the only team on your schedule that matters, and the one sort of dark cloud hanging over you I don't think matters anymore because this is the one game that matters, and you did it without any of the dark cloud hanging over you. This is the the uh, Patriots after, what, Deflategate when they just went out and in that fourth quarter eviscerated the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, and it was like, well, they couldn't be deflating the ball in the Super Bowl, so who really cares? <laughs> right. Like, whatever. Well, it but, is what it is. Like, that's the thing is you look at the prior to the last two games, so the previous nine games on the schedule, the first nine games for Michigan, you could say sign stealing this, sign stealing that. It didn't change the outcome of any of those games. None of the nine would have a different outcome whether Michigan was stealing signs or not. It, you see that things narrow up a little bit against Penn State and Maryland after that, but this is the big one here. If you win today, everything's off. Your rap sheet goes dry. It's blank after that. I don't care about any of it anymore. This Nothing is the is, Astros winning the World Series with Dusty. Yes, exactly. Like the asterisk goes away if you win today. If you're Michigan. Yeah, but the win will still be vacated, and that's what the people care about. <laughs> right. That's what, like, I I was laughing watching them hang a thousand wins after they uh, won that game, and I'm going, it's going to be great when they have to do this again in two years. Well, that's, like, yeah, <laughs> you can be the first program to win a thousand games twice. Like, that, that's what it <laughs> no, is. No other program will ever do it. It's one of the sport's unbreakable records. I I that was uh, our big thing in college because Jim Beheim got a bunch of his wins vacated, so he became the first coach to win a thousand games twice. Um, so Beat that, that is all. So, so that's what that's what Michigan's out to do now. They're trying to they're trying to get their Bayheim. They're trying to win a thousand games twice. Like for me, if they go out and win, it's not. Gonna, I don't really care about the competitive aspect of it anyway. My my biggest thing with the cheating scandal has always been this: How could you be so stupid? Like of all the ways to cheat. You chose the way that every coach and every program in America and all the SEC people are like, we're not even mad that they did it. We're mad that they were so stupid about it. <laughs> and if you go and win today, it's like, why'd you do it in the first place? Yeah, because that's kind of the looming question right now. One of my buddies was telling me like there was a like a I guess there's a service that gives like the correct play percentage in terms of like how many times you call the correct play against a certain defense or against a certain offense and like Michigan's been worlds ahead of everyone for most of the year and last year and oh, the year before 
But the last two games, it's like minus 100 for them. (laughs) It's like once we lose our Navy guy, we're just in the wrong uh, personnel every single time. Once we lose our guardian angel, Connor Stallions, it all goes out the window. But that's like you think back about what this game has been the last two years. It feels like Michigan's called the right play in every situation. And they're not going to maybe have that luxury today. I will say, too, like, I've heard Hembo talk about it on Greeny. I, listening locally while I've been in Detroit, people have talked about it. Tyler, it sounds like as much as you can wipe it away with a win today, it does sound like next week there will be more. And one one thing that I heard locally, just the quote, I said, ooh, was they're going to regret using the phrase bet specifically that phrase they're going to regret because of what's coming down the pipe. Oh boy. That's what I heard. Like, are locally. we talking are we talking Iowa level stuff? That's that's what I heard locally. An oh, allusion boy. to bet not your best choice of words. Mm. That'll come back to bite you. Yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. you could have maybe you could have chosen differently there. All right. We will continue. We'll get to some more Michigan-Ohio State stuff around 10 o'clock. When we come back, though, I want to dive into a little bit of the playoff predictor, which I guess entitles a little bit of this Michigan-Ohio State conversation. We'll do that when we come back. Where do we think the playoff shakes out after rivalry week? All that's coming up on Chicago's College Tailgate. Shay and Tyler. Tyler. Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Now back to the show. Chicago's College Tailgate has it all with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Shay, let's dive into some of the playoff outlook for where we sit right now. I think... There's only eight teams really in consideration for the playoff right now. It's one Georgia, two Ohio State, three Michigan, four Washington, five Florida State, six Oregon, seven Texas, eight Alabama. Maybe you squeeze Louisville in there. Would take a lot to to really make that work out. Louisville can't get in. So the big news coming out of the playoff this week was the swap between Washington and Florida State. Washington bumps up a spot to four. Florida State drops down a spot to five, which obviously is a significant move within the landscape of the playoff. But a lot of people thought this was the committee penalizing Florida State for an injury to their quarterback that is ending Jordan Travis's season. I think it is far from that. I've thought for a while now that Washington has had the better resume. They have the better wins. They have gone through this gauntlet three-game stretch that we kind of highlighted in the preseason and won all three games. So, to me, I quite frankly don't even think the resumes are close at this point. Washington is the significantly better resume. In fact, I would say Washington's resume is probably good enough to put them at two or three even. But it really doesn't matter because Ohio State, Michigan's going to figure itself out here. And ultimately, Washington is going to play Oregon. But maybe it matters in the sense that Washington, if they were high enough, could lose to Oregon and still find their way inside the playoff. See, I think that pathway is tough to get to. I still do. But I think you're right on in, like, this is not a punishment of Florida State. It's Washington went on the road 
to Corvallis against a top 15 team and they won the game. And you have to give credit for the wins against good opponents. And when you go through Florida State's schedule, like no disrespect, but Clemson, we know what they are this year. And you needed a miracle from an insurance salesman who just (laughs) missed a kick to win that game. You were in a hell game at Boston College. We know what they are this year. Uh, Didn't they lose to Army? Like, or they were in a game with Army? Like, BC has been awful. Virginia Tech, again, no disrespect, but, like, come on. Syracuse, Duke, Wake Forest, Pitt, Miami. Mm -hmm. And then you play North Alabama last week, and it was a game in the first quarter. Like, it just – the resumes don't even come close to matching up. And I honestly, Tyler, I'm still at a point where if Oregon does beat Florida State, despite Florida State having a zero in the loss column and Oregon having a one, I think Oregon jumps them because the resume for Florida State is just so bad. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I, for me, you can't leave out an undefeated conference champ. You can't. I get it, but I just. But but if I'm I mean, not even saying leave them out. Like Florida State can be four, but I would see a world where see, Oregon gets yeah, whacked ahead of them, even I, with the loss. Yeah, I I don't think you can leave them out, but I I do think that at that point I'm not totally upset about it as long as they all get in. I'm not total, and I don't know about you. I, I'm guessing you you feel this way, but. I don't think anything in rivalry week is going to impact the playoff rankings aside from Ohio State, Michigan. One of those teams will be bounced for good, and that's the only sort of shakeup here. I don't think we find a scenario where two Big Tens get in. No, there's. I don't think there's any scenario for it because the Big Ten's been so awful. Like Michigan and Ohio State, whoever loses this game, your strength of record will not match up with anyone else, particularly on the Michigan side. Should have played somebody in the non-conference. Should have scheduled somebody like Notre Dame. At least Ohio State had the cojones to do it. Like, next year, you're scheduling Texas. You're finally waking up. But you can't, like, they've played such an awful schedule to the point that they didn't play a real game until two weeks ago. And, like, sorry, if that's what you're going to have, if you lose today, you're out. It's just other teams are playing people. Oregon played people in the Pac-12. Florida State played LSU. Washington played people like Ohio State played Notre Dame. If Michigan, if you lose today, you're dead. Alabama, at least their loss came against a power five non-conference team in Texas. You know what I mean? It has a playoff pulse, too, in Texas. So you just, for me, the loser of the Big Ten's out. Personally, I've said this last week, I would like Billy Napier and the Florida Gators to do America a favor and send Florida State home. A battle of backup quarterbacks. Yeah, it's it's not a game anybody's going to want to watch. Florida State is six and a half point favorite, like a classic rivalry. I should game. say, yeah, you know what, Florida, Florida State, that could shake up the playoff. That one could because I just don't know what it like. Tate Rotemaker against Florida's backup, who I can't even think of the name. Like I don't know what that actually looks like. I don't know what Tate Rotemaker is when he has to play four full quarters. I think he's looked decent when he's had to come in for Jordan Travis at times this season, but I don't know what he is. And, like, in that game, could I see a world where Florida, that that short pass attack, they've been kind of effective on offense at times. I know they've lost a bunch of games here, but could I see a world where in a rivalry game and Florida State without their quarterback, despite being 11-0, goes down on the road in Gainesville? I could, and that would seriously shake things up 
because then Oregon, Texas, and Alabama are all licking their chops with an opportunity to really get in. Yeah, the, these one-loss teams right now are, are fascinating to dissect because, I mean, we got into it a little bit on the Chicago's College Tailgate podcast where we break everything down for you on Monday mornings, talking about everything in the college football landscape. So be sure to subscribe, get that wherever you get your podcasts, including on the ESPN Chicago app. But Texas has the head-to-head win over Alabama. But Alabama's looked like the better team as of late. And Texas blew out Texas Tech last night. It's really their first impressive showing, what, since Kansas? Right? Like, you yeah. look back, uh, I guess they, they blew out BYU as well. But everything else has been sort of sleepy with them the last couple of weeks. But that game right there was kind of the, all right, Texas looked alive and looked looked like they had a pulse back. But Alabama, well, in terms of, like, Resume-wise, forget the results, just resume-wise of what's happened. And, like, forget the margin of victory on the Texas side of things. Alabama's looked like the much better team ever since they squared off head-to-head in Tuscaloosa. I think you look at yesterday, you beat Texas Tech 57-7 to in a game where you've got your quarterback back, which is huge. It feels like Texas is, again, the most complete version of themselves. I'm not telling you they're a national title winner. I'm just saying it's hard for me to go because this game was played week two or in September, whenever Texas and Bama, it's hard for me to go. Well, the result can't, it doesn't matter now because Alabama looks better to us. Like you beat them on a field in their house. To me, that has to count. So if it comes down to one loss conference champion, Texas and one loss conference champion, Alabama, I'm going to take Texas because Texas beat them. I think that has to matter. It's the toughest decision they're going to have to make. And, and like, like Texas, because Alabama, if Alabama is in the playoff conversation, they will have the best win in the sport this year. Yeah, they'll beat Georgia they'll in a neutral beat Georgia, field in the SEC. Neutral type. field, and you're an SEC champion. And to leave that team out of the playoff, like, at that token, too, you can't let Georgia in. You would have well, to shut out the SEC. That's where it gets really fascinating because, like, then you look at it and go, Georgia going in off a loss, and we're going to leave the SEC, the uh, SEC winner out because they lost to Texas. But this is why the four-team setup was always going to be a joke. You have five power conferences. Like, you can't, you're always going to leave a conference theoretically, champion out. Yeah, theoretically, you could leave out an undefeated conference champion every single year. Power now, conference champion. They've gotten lucky a lot because the Pac-12 champion for the past six years has always been kind of a joke. It's been meaningless. Like the Big 12 has had Oklahoma go in, and the Big 10 has always had somebody. The SEC has always had somebody, and then the ACC had Clemson. They got lucky because the Pac-12 teams just never – like it was a lot of three, four-loss conference champions. You don't have to worry in that case. This year, you're going to have potentially two conference champions – and one of them beat the other, but because of the eye test, you could argue, and the resume deal, you could argue Alabama should get in ahead of a team that they lost to in their own house, which is why this four-team thing, just it never made sense. It was never going to work. It was never going to satisfy everyone because if you put Texas in, at least then as a committee you can go, we've talked all about how important head-to-head is. And so we're going to honor that and put Texas in. But then you're going to have Saban on a, on a podium oh bitching about how terrible the committee is and what a grand injustice was done against his team. 
on the flip side, if you put Bama in, you can no longer be honest with yourselves about caring about head-to-head because you don't. And you're going to have Texas fans and Sark losing their minds being punished because they had a loss to Oklahoma despite beating the team that got in ahead of them. Like it's, That's where I think if you, you have to deal with Bama sitting out and you do what you do with Georgia, I think the people will understand it. I think if you put Bama in ahead of Texas, both as one-loss conference titles, with a game this season where Texas won, it becomes – you can't reconcile that. There's no way to like explain how that makes sense. We can go, Bama's got the best win, and it came later. But they lost to the team you're having them jump. Like it's just You can't reconcile that. But he, Why do the games not matter? Here's the other part of this, though, is that Bama would have that win over Georgia, if we're talking about it in that sense. But Georgia, even by losing to Alabama, is still probably ahead of Texas in the rankings. Right? You would think, yeah. I would think, like... It's such a complex system this year. Like, I don't care if this were to be an 18-team playoff or a 12-team playoff. I wouldn't care if if Bama was ahead of Texas or Texas was ahead of Bama or Bama was ahead of Georgia or, or Georgia was ahead of Texas. I wouldn't care about where they shook out seating-wise. But when you're talking about par- given the ticket to participate in the tournament, that's where the the line is drawn in the sand. But you think about TCU last year, right? Going into the conference title undefeated, and they lost to Kansas State. Mm -hmm. They still got into the playoff. Granted, the outside looking in wasn't what it is this year, but there is now precedent for just because you lost in the conference championship doesn't mean we're going to knock you out. There's also precedent for back when Ohio State won the national championship. Hey, you lost to Penn State in the regular season. Penn State won the Big Ten. Ohio State sat on the couch, and Ohio State went to the playoff. And, and so won it, yeah. There's precedent for both sides of this where you can go, we don't really care about the head. That Granted, Penn State people rioted on that one. But you set the, the precedent that we don't have to care about the head. That we can just send whoever. Like for me, if this plays out in a way where Bama wins the SEC and let's say Ohio State beats Michigan and wins the Big Ten. Let's say Oregon wins the Pac-12. Let's say – Florida State loses I would probably have to go some form of like Ohio State one Oregon two Georgia three Texas four and then Bama's five like I can't I but then you're you're breaking your own precedent that's being set here right but I like for me I don't have the precedent I'm not on the committee for me the head head has to matter for me the fact that you played each other that Texas had the balls to go on the road to Tuscaloosa and play Alabama, and they won that game. That has to matter. But I, I think it also matters that Alabama beat Georgia to win the SEC. Like, if that's the the matrix we're working with here, I think the most important of those results of the two results is Alabama beating Georgia for the SEC championship. I would put Bama ahead of Georgia in that regard. Maybe, but, but it's also actually, complicated. You know be- what? They'd both be one-loss teams. I think you could see. I think you could make the argument Georgia just falls to five. You put Bama and Texas both in. Yeah, and then you end up with a Ohio State, Oregon, Texas, Alabama playoff, which, by the way, would be an absolute money maker. Yeah, like that's insane. Listen, that's the best part of the the possible scenarios here is that they're all good. They're all good football scenarios from a money making standpoint, from a competition standpoint. Like you're talking about 
the eight teams that you would put in, you're talking about seven of the biggest brands in college football, right? Yeah, and the other one is Nike. Like, like. Oh, well, I was got, no, I was I was putting Oregon in that group, and I was leaving Washington out. Right, that's fair too. Yeah. Like, it's just the seven Washington of the biggest will be brands. going to their second playoff. Right, and you've got a repeat playoff team potentially. Like the only situation I don't want to see is both Big Ten teams get in. Because I just, the Big Ten's terrible. Yeah. I don't want to see Big Ten. I don't football think that world playoff. exists. I, I really don't. Um, speaking of bad Big Ten football, there's something we need to discuss from yesterday. And also, a very highly touted name and recruit made his debut yesterday. We'll tell you all about it. Coming up next on Chicago's College Tailgate. Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Chicago's College Tailgate has it all. Now back to the show with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Shay, we hit a glorious end yesterday to one of the most exhilarating things of the college football slate this year. And that is the end of the Iowa Unders. It goes under once again yesterday after a historic number of 24 and a half and it goes under by the skin of its teeth both you and i thought it was dead because there were what 17 17 points points in the first half yep and we're sweating this thing out and it ends with us making another batch of shirts how about back to back interceptions in the final like 30 seconds (laughs) well i'm sitting here watching a field goal try i'm sitting here watching it and i'm thinking to myself Damn, I can't get overtime. And then I was like, wait, no, I can get overtime and still win this. Like that, that would have been the best way for it to go out if it still hit with an overtime period. But what a what an egregious, egregious ending of that game with the double interception, like you mentioned. Um I or Nebraska sends its field goal team out to attempt a fifty plus yarder into the wind. And then forgets to send their kicker out there and instead is forced to call a timeout and then decides to punt after calling the timeout. I mean, there were so many boneheaded plays in that game, but I'm just happy we got to celebrate another Iowa under. It was one of the worst. That wasn't football. It was one of the worst games ever played. But the Iowa under train has been such an auto-profitable thing. It was 10-2 and two this year. <laughs> they couldn't make numbers low enough. When you're getting flat 30s, 28-and-a-half, 26s, like that is, that is where you want to live. For context here, TCU and Oklahoma played yesterday, and there were 114 points scored in regulation in that game. <laughs> Each of these teams had quarters where the team themselves alone scored at least 22 points. There were 23 total in that game. They played different sports. It was unbelievable to watch. Um, and then real quick, Arch Manning made his debut yesterday in garbage time for Texas. Um, that guy throws fireballs at his receivers. I mean, he was zipping exit velo 109s at his receivers yesterday i think he'll figure it out but it's just something i want to put on people's radar for right now before we see arch manning get a full season next year i have to say like you texted me and said arch manning's throwing fastballs he might suck (laughs) and i wasn't watching the game live so i went back this morning and i found a video of every snap that he took he's he's pretty good man (laughs) like every ball that he threw granted they were 
fireballs. Like he's rocking ropes out there, but they were on a dime too. Like he was good ball, like very ball. accurate, but accurate. And the, I think the velocity of it though makes it on him. Maybe he'll figure it out. Like I'm not worried about that. But it was, it was an interesting thing to watch when he's slinging it like Brett Favre back there. I also I don't know if I realized how good of an athlete he is. Like if he's a Manning he looks quarterback, like Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, like, if with he's his a build and everything. Yep. If Maybe he's it's a the Manning 16 throwing with, me off, but a Manning quarterback with legs is like the scariest situation for the NFL. Yes. That's like that's like hell in the NFL. A Manning quarterback with legs might be 10 Super Bowls. Yeah. All right, when we come back, we will dive more into the Michigan Ohio State matchup. The game number 2 versus number 3 coming up next. Chicago's college tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago.